All right, all right. What's up, AFC? I hope everybody is doing well tonight. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Matt, and I get to work with the college students here at UCC. Um, guys, all semester we've been kind of, um, kind of preaching this idea of what we think helps this ministry work most effectively. And um, of course, Wednesday nights are big for us, but what we really, really want to push is small group involvement. So if you're not in a small group, there's only two of them, a guys and a girls. They meet on Monday nights. And they've been going really well, and we just picked some new material that we're starting. Um, we started this week, but we're really going to get going with it when we get back from spring break. So it's a great time to jump back in or to invite a new person to get back in. Um, we're really excited about the material that we have. Um, secondly, um, coffee. I believe full-heartedly that the most important, job, most important job for myself is getting coffee with you guys. I believe the same thing is for the interns. So if you need somebody to do a God talk with, if you need some one-on-one time, talk about life, whatever it is, let's do that. Let's go get some coffee. Uh, let's catch up. We, we really believe in that here. Uh, also, Sunday mornings. The unique thing about AFC is we're tied to the big church, UCC. And uh, things have just been going great there. Charlton, who spoke to you guys last week, is just a great leader, a great speaker, and things have really been taken off there. So that's 10.30 on Sundays. Uh, and then just two more things that are kind of more um, relevant to the, to the, to the now. Um, if you're not going anywhere for spring break, the church has set up a spring break staycation mission trip. So we have chances to serve next week. I know myself and the rest of the staff are going to get real involved with that. So if you're not going anywhere and you want a chance to serve uh, next week, we're doing that here in town. And then, uh, and then Honduras. We've been preaching Honduras a lot this semester that we really want to get a bunch of AFCers down there. Uh, the thing about it is we're running out of slots. We've put a cap on it. And so, uh, and so if you're really thinking that that's what you want to do is to go to Honduras with us this summer, we have a couple more spots left and we need a financial commitment before too long. Um, but again, Honduras is just something that has done uh, a lot of things in a lot of our lives in this room. We really, we really want to preach doing something this summer and growing individually in our faith. And we think Honduras is a great way to do that. So if you um, are still interested, there's a couple spots left. So that's the housekeeping. That's the announcement. So if y'all pray with me, that'd be great. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for a body of believers that uh, in the midst of busyness, in the midst of midterms, in the midst of intramurals and just life that is college, that we have a group that is faithful to coming and to growing closer to you and to worshiping you, God. I pray tonight as we, um, as we, study, um, as we study about the patriarchs of the faith, as we study about um, the faithfulness that you've shown, that you will just reorient us um, towards a life that is directed at, at you, that is directed at the cross. I pray tonight for, for any words that you want to be heard, that they would just fall on soft hearts. Anything else, Lord, they'll fall flat to the floor. In your son's name I pray. And everybody said, amen. So what I was thinking is when we come back from, when we come back from spring break, uh, we're going to be we're going to dive into a series, and I was thinking about the different areas that we're getting poured into right now. On Sundays right now, Charlton is in a, is in a series about the arrest, the crucifixion, um, the trial, and the, and the resurrection of Jesus as we go into the, the Easter season. So we're getting a lot of New Testament there. And then the Jesus is small group material that we started um, this week. Again, we're just going to try to get to know the nature and the character of Jesus and really get to understand the cross and what he did. Now, um, with that being said, I wanted to take AFC in a little bit different direction. So we're going to go, we're going to go a little bit of Old Testament. Now I know what that can bring some emotions sometimes. It can invoke some emotions of, of boredom. You think about the law, you think about counting sheep, you think about, um, you think about poetry, you think, you think boring. Well, um, yes, yes and no. And I kind of used to think that way too. But there has been a book in the Old Testament that has absolutely rocked my world the past six months. And that's, uh, that's, the book of, that's the book of Joshua. 
The story of Joshua is about a man who inherits a, inherits a nation of God's people as they're going into the next big stage of their, uh, of, of their life, of their um, re- receiving the promise, receiving, receiving the promise. Now, this is a great time for God's people. It really is. There's going to be a lot of conquering, people group after people group, nation after nation, obstacle after obstacle. They all fall to the ground with the Lord's help. I think for us it'll be relevant because we're headed kind of into the promised land that is summer, right? And it's kind of, I just wanted like a really fun and encouraging um, series as we head into summer. Um, but I didn't want to start it right before we left for spring break. So tonight we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of set it up. We're going to set up the story of Joshua that says, um, when God's people do what God says, does what God says to do, things work better. Naturally, it just works better. And so we're going to set that up tonight with the the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Old Testament, uh, right here, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, Joshua is the fifth book, so this is how we're going to set it up. Now, I think, I think what these books do, they're also called the, the books of the law. They're also called the books of Moses, because he was probably the one who recorded them. What the books of Moses do is they reorient us to what's, uh, what's important. They reorient us to, uh, to a focus on God. Reorient, by definition, is to find one's position, again, in relation to one's surroundings. Now, I don't know when the last time uh, that you hit a piñata was, but um, what you're supposed to do when you hit a piñata is you're supposed to get blindfolded, and you're supposed to get a bat, and you're supposed to spin around that bat like 10 or 15 times, however many it takes to get you real messed up in the head. Now, what you do, when you're done with that, you, you pop yourself up, you pop off the bandana from your eyes, and you try to compose yourself. You try to find that piñata, you try to orient yourself to your surroundings. Hopefully you stop stumbling enough to find it and to go, um, to get that stick and to go ham on the candy fortress that is that piñata. I believe what the first five books of the Old Testament do I believe, uh, is reorient us to God. We spin around with this life. We spin around with work. We spin around with school. We spin around with bills, with relationships. Um, We get dizzy. We lose focus of what it's all about. What it's all about is right here. Now, I believe this book is about two things and two things primarily. First and foremost, uh, I believe this book is about God's glory. I believe that this book is, uh, it takes man out of the center of the equation. And it's hard for us to grasp sometimes. It's not what we want to do sometimes. But this book is about God's glory. The second thing, and it's not a contradiction, but I believe that this book is a love story, a love story forged in the love that God has for man. At the end of the day, what we have to recognize is that God is the main character of the story, but that main character, the superhero, the, um, the, the superstar, has a supernatural love for us, and these books help us see that. Tonight we'll be looking at three ways that the books of the law help us reorient our lives to focus on and pursue God. The first one is uh, Genesis. In the first couple of chapters, it tells the creation story. The creation story is going to set a foundation um, for, for our faith. It sets a foundation for the faith. Secondly, we're going to look at promises made to the patriarchs. The patriarchs are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Pretty much what this means is God made promises to the leaders of his people, and he fulfilled those promises. And then we're lastly, we're going to look um, at, the, at the life of Moses. The life of Moses is all about fulfillment because most of the promises that God made to the patriarchs were fulfilled through Moses' leadership. The things that God said he was going to do, 
he did, and we get to celebrate that tonight. So first, we're going to talk about Genesis a little bit. Uh, creation is the foundation not only of the, the books of Moses, but of the Christian faith itself. If you spend any time with myself, getting to know me a little bit, you'll find, um, if we talk about faith at all, I'm going to bring up apologetics. Personally, in my life, um, apologetics is the defense of the faith. And, and personally, in my life, um, what apologetics has done is it's sharpened me. It's made me, um, I'm a doubter. I'm a doubter by nature, so it's really, it's really made me uh, think God out. And what I love about Genesis is it offers, a, it offers reasons as to why I believe what I believe. To me, it's the most logical. It makes the most sense. And when arguing with an atheist, an atheist is going to ask you a bunch of questions. He's going to say, he's gonna say uh, God has, you, have to, you have to prove God, the fairy tale, the mysticism, the, the poetry that is God. But the same thing is we've got to flip it on the atheist, too. The atheist has the same burden of proof that we do. The atheist has to prove just as much as we do um, how we got where we got. The science and the Bible, they don't conflict as much as the atheist would have you believe. Um, as to how I got here, as to how the whales got here, the fish, and um, what the creation story does is it, is it tells us that there's an, it tells its audience that there is one God. There's one explanation for the existence that is the Christian God. Some of you might remember last semester I did this, I did this Lego example where I was trying to explain creation, how important I think it is. See, the atheists and ourselves, we all have to, we both have to explain how this came to be. We both have to explain how creation happened, how something came from nothing, right? Now, what I love about Genesis, what I love about the creation story, is God tells us how he did it. He tells us every day what he did, and it's good. Now, the atheist, he has to, he has to do something, too. Um, he has to explain the same creation, but he has to explain just by doing this, that something's going to come from that. That's why I just love, love, love Genesis and what creation, the creation story does. It reaffirms my faith. Every time I wander, every time I doubt, every time I um, go seeking for a better answer, I always get pointed back to the undeniable truth that nothing makes as much sense as God and the Christian God. So once we get reoriented, once we get to the idea that, okay, the Christian God probably does make the most sense, uh, we're going to turn to his word. And we're going to turn to, we're going to turn to some of the promises that he's made within that word. Now I'm going to do some filling in the blanks here just because I have to keep this under, uh, under 30 minutes. But um, we're going to say that, we're going to say that God created the world, right? He created the world and everything in it. And it was good. And then he created man, and it was very good. And that starts the love story. Now, if you know anything about love, you cannot make somebody love you. And so God did not want to do that. He created man. He gave him the choice to love him or to rebel, and we rebelled. So I'm talking about the, the, the serpent and the forbidden fruit and the, and the falling away from God. Now, I'm not trying to rush through this story like it's not important, but what I'm trying to do is I'm going to try, to try to paint this love story. I'm trying to paint this love story. And the best and one of the best examples of a love story in the Bible is the promises that God made to us after we fell. So the second topic that we're talking about tonight is called patriarchal promises. Now this is a big term that means God made some promises to a few of his leaders. Now one of the best examples of a patriarchal promise comes from Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We have it on the next slide. It reads like this. Now the Lord said, said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we see here, we see three types of promises. Um, on the next slide, we see that God has promised, physically, he's promised land. Physically, he has promised land to God's people. Secondly, he has promised descendants, or to make them a great nation. And lastly, he promises blessing. Now, the land that is the promised land that we read about in the Old Testament, um, this is something that Joshua is going to get to conquer. This is something that Joshua gets to do, um, but it was set up through Abraham. And this land today, in 2015, is still occupied by God's people as the country of Israel. I had a friend go on vacation with his family last summer, and um, they went to Israel. And the interesting thing about my friend is he is an atheist, but his family isn't. Um, they're believers, and that's probably why they chose um, that's probably why they chose Israel for a summer vacay spot. Um, but throughout all the sites of the Holy Land and throughout all the devotion of the, of the religious people that he saw there, that didn't really have a big effect on him. But what had an effect on him was he, what he learned about the country of Israel. For, in some divine way, this country continues to be protected. You can do your own research if you want, but look at, look at Israel's history in war. Look at how they've, they've won wars with um, casualties in the tens of thousands for their enemies and in the dozens for them. Research the Six-Day War in the 60s. Research the control of the Gaza Strip. This little piece of dirt the size of New Jersey is the most sought-after piece of real estate in the world, and somehow this tiny nation of Israel continues to hold on to it. On the next slide, uh, this, came from a, this came from a Jewish... Um, newspaper last year when, when Israel and Palestine were in some, some air attacks. Um, just look at that headline. This kind of stuff is still happening today. This kind of stuff is still happening today. I hope one day that um, I can get to go to the promised land. I hope one day I can get to go to Israel and walk around. I think it would really re reorient my faith personally, but being on a minister's salary, that's not going to happen anytime soon, so I'm just going to have to keep reading about the things that God's doing for his people physically still in Israel. The second promise was descendants and to be made a great nation. Now, this happened fairly quickly in the, in the order of promises. When the, when the Israelites were put into captivity into Egypt, it was, they were a very small nation. But by the time that it came for the exodus, for Moses to lead his people out, they became a nation as big as 600,000 fighting men. Now, when we read in the Bible when it says men or fighting men, that's just military-age men. So when the, so the time of the exodus came, you can multiply that times three to account for women and children, and we're talking numbers in the millions, the 1.5 million person range. This nation was a force to re be reckoned with already, and that was a promise that God fulfilled very soon. Now you can check history. Other sources of history will, will back this up, not just the Bible. And lastly, Abraham and his, uh, his nation, God's people, they were to be a blessing. Now we can say that this was fulfilled through, through the other patriarchs, which was a Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or we can also say that this applies to us now. As God's people, we don't have to be Israelites over in Israel right now. God, because of Jesus and what he did, he made us his sons. And we are to be, be a blessing. Now, at the end of time, when we stand um, on God's side of judgment, we are going to be a blessing to him. And those who have opposed us and his church, um, they will in turn be cursed. 
This promise reorients us to the idea that God is still very much on our side. Despite our sinful nature, despite the ways that we disappoint him and we fail him, um, these are promises that he made, promises that he kept. And through the patriarchs and the Bible characters of old, and even down to you and me, what this should do is it should reorient us to his promise. Now, I said I was going to talk about the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, and so far I've only got through Genesis. But then enters Moses. The life of Moses starts in the first couple verses of Exodus, which is book number two, and ends in the last couple verses of Deuteronomy, which is book number five. Uh, The book of Leviticus is a lot of law. The book of Numbers is kind of like Exodus part two. Uh, It's the fulfillment of the promise um, and the presence of God amongst the people. And then Deuteronomy is kind of the passing of the torch. It's kind of Moses um, kind of uh, encouraging the people as to to keep following the Lord and kind of kind of getting Joshua ready for his, for his next stage of life. Now, to be honest, most of the promises that we, that we saw with Abraham and the patriarchs, they were fulfilled with Moses. You see, uh, the story of Moses and the story of these first five books, they are a story of mercy, God's mercy towards people in their wayward ways. God made um, promises to to the Israelites that um, should have been hard to ignore. When the Israelites left Egypt, um, they left kind of dramatically, if you remember the Bible story. Uh, There's the the plagues, there's the frogs, there's the locusts, there's the the river that ran with blood, there's the death of the firstborn. He kind of went out with a bang. They kind of went out with a bang. Now, it wasn't too long in their wandering that the people became dissatisfied, and they made a golden calf. They were very easily dissatisfied with a God that had done so much for them. And sadly, this trend hasn't stopped. Now, we're going to read about Joshua. We're going to read about all the conquerings and all the good things that happened. But still, for God's people, and for God's people now, we're still in that nature, kind of. It hasn't changed much. Nowadays, it's not a golden calf. Nowadays, it's an iPhone. Nowadays, it's a job. Nowadays, it's a major. Nowadays, it's a relationship. Whatever is stealing our devotion to God, whatever is taking our priority over him, that is our golden calf. Now here's what Moses did, and I hope what we can kind of do tonight, is he reoriented the people. First, he did so by pleading with God, by repenting. I wish I would have put this on a slide because um, this is one of the major points I want to make tonight, but um, repentance is a part of reorientation. We cannot start reorientation without repentance, without recognizing that we did wrong. Now, God was mad at the people. God was so mad that after all the things he had done for them, that they would walk away. Moses, um, he pleads with him. He says, God, you know, have, have mercy on us. Do not destroy us. God says, okay. He says, I, I, hear, you. I hear you, Moses. I'm not going to destroy the people. I'm gonna, actually, I'm going I'm to do you one better. I'm going to give you the promised land. I'm going to wipe all the people from it right now. I'm going to give it to you on a, on a silver platter, but I'm not going to go with you. Now, the Israelites, if they heard this, I mean, they're messed up people. They've probably been like, heck, yeah, that sounds great. Just give it to us. You know, we'll go. We'll go without you. We'll take the goods. We'll take the milk and the honey. Um, we don't need you, God. We'll take it. But Moses was so focused on what needed done. He said, he said God, that, that won't do that won't do. 
for us, it, it could have been similar. We could have been like the Israelites and we could have said, yeah, yeah, give us the cars, give us the jobs, give us the relationships, give us the houses and the clothes. That might have been something we chose too. But see, Moses was focused, man. Moses was focused. We're going to read um, out of Exodus 33, 15. Now, I did the, I did the message version here, and I don't, I don't always like to do that, but uh, it, sometimes, it, sometimes it does make for a good read. Exodus 33, 15 through 16 reads like this. Moses said to God, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. How else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Are you traveling with us or not? How else would we know that we are special, I and your people, among all the other people on planet Earth? You see, Moses, uh, Moses knew that the promised land, without the one who promised it, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it. You know, as humans, as, as messed up as we are, we get disoriented too. And that might have been something that we chose too. We come off that spinning bat after just going around and around. We lift that blindfold and, and we're at a loss. Now, we'll get oriented again, but what will it be oriented on? We'll be on the promises that God made us. We'll be on the truth that this story is about him, but that he loves us so, so desperately. Or will we make golden calves? Or will we, will we take the promised land without him? Do we find things that take his place? The first five books of Moses, just like the rest of the Bible, it reorients us to God. And only through loving him and loving his word and studying his word will we know him better. So tonight, the question is, is, is what's our golden calf? What is it that's getting in the way? What's getting in the way between, between us and the cross? What's getting in the way of, what's causing our lack of faith in the promises that God has made us? Uh, myself and the, and the interns, we're going to be in the back if you need somebody to pray with, if we need to, um, in these next couple songs, evaluate what that is. Because let me tell you something, God has made some pretty extraordinary promises for your life and mine. And he wants nothing more than for us to start following him and to knock down these walls one by one by one, just like we'll see in the book of Joshua when we get back from spring break. We all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, you have painted a beautiful, beautiful love story. God, you have made promises to us, and you have not yet failed. You continue to take us back. When we, when we have our golden calves, you continue to take us back. Lord, I pray tonight for reorientation. I know, Lord, in my life that the devil has been talking. And God, I ask you tonight to reaffirm in my heart, to reaffirm in the hearts of everyone in here, that your son and the cross that he died on is the only way to get reoriented. God, you are never changing. And in my sinful ways and in, this, um, in our sinful ways as man, I pray that you will just reveal yourself to a better way. Things will naturally get better when we follow you. I pray for all these things. In your son's name I pray. Amen.